Thank you, choir, for that challenge, David, and your leadership, and Caroline, and Ann, and Julie, and all the orchestra, and all of our tech volunteers. I'm grateful for each one, grateful for what they do to lead us in worship and serve us each Lord's Day. On a pleasant October Saturday afternoon back in 1982, Badger Stadium in Madison, Wisconsin was packed with over 60,000 college football fans rooting for the home team against the visiting Michigan State Spartans. But as the game progressed, it became obvious that Michigan State had the better team and the score grew somewhat lopsided. But the Wisconsin fans continued to erupt in cheers and bursts of applause even as their team fell further and further behind on the field. How could there be such joy in the stands when things were going so badly down there on the field of play? Well, it turns out that 70 miles away, Wisconsin's own Milwaukee Brewers were beating the St. Louis Cardinals in Game 4 of the 1982 World Series. And in a day before cell phones, many of the fans in Badger Stadium that day had brought portable radios with them and were listening to the baseball game while they were watching the football game. <laughs> so they were obviously responding to something other than their immediate circumstances. Though they were losing the football game, they were winning what they thought was a more important contest. Well, a similar phenomenon in the Christian life encourages us and gives us hope when all we see before us are trials and troubles, difficulties and challenges. We don't lose heart in spite of those things because we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but rather on what is unseen. I invite your attention with me this morning to 2 Corinthians chapter 4 as we read there a short passage that makes that exact point and encourages us in spite of what we see. So if you're able, I invite you to stand with me for the reading of the scripture this morning. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, at the end of the chapter there, beginning in verse 16, the Bible says, Therefore... We do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Thank you. Please be seated. <clears throat> now, this text makes clear that the things we see with our eyes are wasting away. We ourselves, in fact, are wasting away. Verse 16 literally says that our outer man is wasting away, meaning our physical selves. And indeed, everything about us that can decay is decaying. And the older we get, the more we realize the truth of that and the reality of that. 
We try to deny it, or at least hide it if we can. We, we try to fool ourselves into thinking that we're, we're not deteriorating quite as rapidly as we really are. In John Pollock's biography of Billy Graham, there's a story about a time when Graham was early in his ministry, uh, not yet all that well known, still a little rough around the edges, not as polished with the public as he would later become, when he was stopped in a hotel lobby by a Pentecostal woman who in a kind of an accusatorial tone asked him, Mr. Graham, do you believe in makeup? And he was caught aback on his heels a bit and before he had time to consider his response he said, well ma'am a little makeup could do you a lot of good. If we can't hide it, we try to deny it. Our generation tries to deny our decay, even though our generation is perhaps one of the first, really, to understand it. We can scientifically describe the process of cellular aging and decay. We understand the inevitable process that from the moment we are born inevitably moves us and marches us without mercy toward the grave. We do everything in our power to deny the reality of it. It may not surprise you to discover that the United States has more plastic surgeons than any other country in the world. In 2021, the latest statistics I could find, there were more cosmetic procedures done in the United States than in the four next highest countries combined. That's how far we will go to try to deny that we are wasting away. The shallow and self-centered culture that we live in has turned Paul's words to the Corinthians upside down. While our outer persons get extreme makeovers, our inner persons grow more and more vacuous and empty. We become like decorated eggs at Easter time. Our shells are as painted and pretty as we can make them while the life that's supposed to be growing inside is dead and we don't even know it. But no matter how hard we try, there's ultimately no denying the truth that we live in bodies that are wasting away, in a world that is wasting away, and according to the scripture, we are afflicted and troubled in the process. The game on the field may be going badly, but the Bible says what we see is not the whole story. Inwardly, invisibly, if we belong to Christ, we're being renewed, the Bible says in verse 16. Remade. The Apostle Paul was in a particularly interesting position and a, a place where he could accurately observe and say these things because he suffered incessantly in his service of Christ. You know, if you've read the scripture much, all of the trials and the hardships that he went through in order to carry the gospel to new places. But was Paul defeated? Hardly. 
In fact, quite the opposite. Just a few verses back in chapter 4 and verses 8 and 9, Paul says, We are hard pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. And the reason he could say those things was that invisible source of strength that's available to every believer, every follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, an unseen spiritual regeneration that is at work in us every day, day by day. We're being remade, renewed, recreated in the image of our Lord Christ, even as our outer selves are perishing. So while our world is perishing, the kingdom of God is growing. As a matter of fact, by the way, if you didn't know it, the growth of the kingdom of God is cumulative. There are more people, more souls, if you will, in the kingdom of God today, this very moment, than there have been in all the history of creation. And there will be more tomorrow in the kingdom of God than there are today. The kingdom of God grows even though the world around us is perishing. And though our bodies are weakening, our spirits are being strengthened, the Bible says. In fact, the very trials and challenges that we face in our outer selves actually serve to strengthen us in our inner selves, the difficulties that we struggle with externally work in us a, a, a strength, a resolve, a, 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 a resource that nothing else can produce. The Bible says that they're achieving for us something far better than we can even imagine. The late J.I. Packer said, God uses chronic pain and weakness along with other afflictions as His chisel for sculpting our lives. Felt weakness deepens dependence on Christ for strength each day. The weaker we feel, the harder we lean. And the harder we lean, the stronger we grow spiritually, even while our bodies waste away. The healing of your sinful person thus goes forward even though the healing of your mortal body does not. And the healing of persons is the name of the game so far as God is concerned. And he's right in that observation. What we see isn't the whole story. God is up to something that we can't quite yet always recognize. There's a story about a, a shipwreck, and the only survivor of this shipwreck swam as hard as he could, barely made it to a, an uninhabited island with just a few things he could take with him after the shipwreck. He was exhausted. He cried out to God, begged God to save him. Every day he would scan the horizon searching for a ship or a boat or someone coming to help him. When he finally realized he was going to potentially be there for a while, he, he built him a kind of a rough house, if you will, out of bamboo and palm leaves, and, and he put inside it the, the few things he'd got with him off the boat, as well as the 
stuff he'd gathered on the island. But then one day, coming home from hunting for food, he was grief-stricken to see his hut in flames, going up in smoke. The very worst possible thing that could have happened seemed to have happened. And he was spent. He fell down exhausted into a sleep that only the exhausted sleep. But early the next morning, a boat drew in, and he was rescued. And when he asked the people on the boat, how did, you, how did you know where I was? They said, we saw your smoke signal. If your hut is burning, don't lose heart. Don't grow discouraged. What we see isn't the whole story. Philip Yancey, the Christian author, says, The same tears that break our hearts may also nourish us in ways that matter most to God. God is up to something. God is at work. God is, is active in your life, bringing about something you can't yet envision, you can't yet see. And it's a wonderful thing, too. Notice the contrasts that Paul draws in verse 17. Literally there he says, The momentary lightness of our affliction or trouble is working in us an eternal weight of glory. See how those things are on opposite ends of the spectrum? There is momentary versus eternal. It is the nature of moments that they are momentary. But what is eternal lasts forever, never ends. There is lightness versus weight and trouble or affliction versus glory. We think of trouble as being heavy and burdensome, weighing us down. We think of glory as being light and fleeting. But Paul says, no, 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 it's just the opposite. Glory is weighty and substantial. It's our troubles that are ultimately light and fleeting. Paul says over in Romans, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. But notice it will be revealed in us. It is a glory not yet revealed. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. How do we fix our eyes on something that is unseen? But we do it by faith. Less than 10 verses farther down in 2 Corinthians from our passage, the Apostle Paul says, We live by faith, not by sight. What is this faith we live by? Well, it, it isn't just saying some magic words that will somehow obligate God to heal your body or to give you houses or cars or lands or material wealth, not in the least. No, all of those things will waste away. They aren't worthy of your attention. Faith is fixing our eyes on those things that are unseen, that cannot be seen with the physical eyes, but only with the heart, with the eyes of faith. 
Isn't that what the Bible tells us? In Hebrews 11, verse 1, that definition of faith, it says, Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Certain of what we do not see. That's the faith we live by. The glory we hope for and that by faith we are certain of is not perceptible to human sight or any of the senses to which this sensual generation is enslaved. But just because we can't see it yet, just because we can't touch it yet or hear it yet, doesn't mean it's not there. That's why we don't lose heart. Just because we can't see it or feel it or touch it or hear it, doesn't mean it isn't real. Doesn't mean it doesn't exist. Friday, May the 7th of 1824, in Vienna, Austria, Ludwig von Beethoven, old by that time, completely deaf, was conducting his last public symphony, the premiere of his Symphony No. 9, now considered a masterpiece. But a masterpiece Beethoven had composed without ever hearing a single note of it himself because of his deafness. In fact, this performance was Beethoven's first time on stage in 12 years. Ignaz Umlauf, the theater's Kapellmeister, was the official orchestra and chorus director, but to humor old deaf Beethoven, he let Beethoven share the stage with him and, and lead the symphony. An eyewitness to the events of that night, the violist Joseph Baum, later said that Beethoven would beat out the tempo before every movement, but Umlauf had instructed the singers and the musicians to ignore Beethoven so as not to avoid any disaster that his total deafness might cause. But even so, Beethoven directed furiously. And when it was over and the music had stopped, Beethoven was several measures behind, still directing and still conducting. The audience exploded in an ovation. But it took the contralto, Caroline Unger, actually physically going over and taking Beethoven, who was facing the symphony, the orchestra, and physically turning him around before he could see the fabulous ovation that he was being given. People were throwing handkerchiefs and hats in the air. They were raising their arms. They were shouting and clapping in this fabulous ovation that he didn't even know about. They gave him five ovations, as a matter of fact. The officers of the, of the facility had to finally quiet everyone down. It, it, was, it was for the sake of propriety. It was becoming more than what royalty received when they were in the place. And Beethoven never knew a bit of it until he was turned around to see. And Beethoven wept. And everybody wept out of joy and exultation. I'd like to 
suggest to you today that in our faithful following of our Lord Jesus, we are like deaf conductors facing the orchestra, unable to hear the glory, unable to see the glory of what God is doing in us. But one day, someone better than a contralto is going to turn us around and incredibly, Ordinary believers like us will hear our Lord say, Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. God never promised us that life was going to be free of difficulty and trial, affliction, challenge. In fact, Jesus promised just the opposite, didn't he? He said, in this world you will have tribulation and trouble, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. If things are going badly for you today, don't lose heart. Turn your attention away from the temporary afflictions of this life and toward the eternal glories of the kingdom of God. Tune into the good news. Lean on the Lord Jesus Christ. Trust Him. Not, not the others of us who will disappoint you and let you down, as we all do from time to time. No, trust Him. He will never let you down. He is always faithful. He is always at work in you, in us, in His world, even as it wastes away. If you will trust Him, He will see you through. And someday, when this age has passed away and the kingdom of God has come in its fullness, you will see with your eyes what your heart, by faith, has always known. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this encouraging word from the Scripture today. We thank you for the inspired perception of the Apostle Paul who heard from your Spirit and who faithfully recorded for us the reality of experience. That though our world and even our very bodies themselves are wasting away, we are being renewed, remade, recreated in the image of your Son, Jesus, our Lord. And I pray, Lord, that as we look about us, we see so many troubling things in this world that is, that is perishing. The wars, the, the fighting, the fury. Even as we look in the mirror, we see deterioration. We're concerned about the effects of world events on your church and your kingdom. But God, we are reminded today that what we see isn't the whole story. We are grateful and we thank you for working in us, working quietly, invisibly, expanding your kingdom, advancing the cause of Christ. And I pray, God, as we embark on our 
our renewed vision of mission and service here as Central Baptist Church, that you would encourage us to continue on knowing that the only measure of success in your kingdom is faithfulness. May we be faithful in serving you for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to sing together.